Let's turn together now to the Word of God in Romans 8. We'll read there the first 17 verses. Romans 8, 1 through 17. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together." That's as far as we read this morning. The text for this morning's sermon is that first verse, Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now 
no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Therefore, now, those are the two words with which Romans 8 begins. You notice that the words there is are in italics, and that means that they were put there by the translators to help us read and understand the passage, but are not really there in the Word of God. Therefore, now, that's the way the passage begins. And the word therefore connects Romans 8 with Romans chapter 5. Goes all the way back, that word therefore does, to Romans chapter 5 and to the great doctrine of justification by faith alone without works that's taught in Romans chapter 5. The word now connects this passage with the previous chapter, Romans 7, especially with the last part of Romans 7, verses 13 through 25. And I want to try and explain that to you as we begin our study of the Word of God here this morning. In that last part of Romans 7, you'll see that if you look back, you read of Paul's own spiritual struggle. In fact, I just noticed that in the pulpit Bible here, verses 13 through 25, have that as a heading, the Christian's struggle. And those verses describe not only Paul's spiritual struggle, but a struggle that we all understand and experience. You read of that struggle, for example, in verses 16 and 17. If then I do that which I would not, if I do what I don't want to do, and the reference is to sin, if I then do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And then he goes on. Verse 19. The good that I would, the good that I want to do, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I don't want to do, that I do. 
And I'm sure that every spiritually minded child of God says, yes, that's the way it is. I fall far short of doing the things that God wants, the things that I want. And I find myself forever falling into sin and temptation and not doing the things that I ought to do. The good that I would, I do not, but the evil that which I would not, that I do. And then in verse 21, the Apostle Paul says, it's like a law in my life. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And all of that struggle, so well known to all of us, comes to a conclusion in the last verses. Almost in the same breath, Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? But then, too, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. And that little word now connects us with that and really has the idea of What now? Where does that leave me? That spiritual struggle. Am I just going to give up? In that constant, never-ending struggle to do what I ought to do and want to do and to avoid falling into sin. What now? What am I going to say when I find myself dealing with old sins that come back and haunt me? I wish I could forget them. But it seems like there's always something to remind me of how foolish I was when I was younger of the sins that I committed when I was younger. And sometimes because of that, I'm inclined to give up. And what about the fact that I keep committing the same sins over and over again? I confess them, tell God I'm sorry for them, pray for grace to do better, And the next day, I'm committing the same sins again. What now? I want to do the good, and yet I don't do it as I ought to. I hate the sins that I commit, 
and hate myself for committing those sins. And yet, I do them over and over again. What now? So it's that little word now that connects us with that whole matter of the Christian struggle. There at the end of chapter 7, the word therefore says, there's reason not to be discouraged, not to give up in that struggle, not to feel like it's all hopeless, certainly not to feel like I might just as well give it all up and go eat, drink, and be merry. Live like the world. Enjoy life as they seem to enjoy it. And forget, forget God, forget his word, forget the church, forget all of that. And then perhaps that struggle will be over. That word, therefore, says we mustn't do that. There's reason for hope, reason to go on, reason to struggle on. And the reason, word, therefore, remember, connects us to chapter 5, The reason is to be found in God's justifying grace, which Paul also mentions here in this first verse of chapter 8. There is therefore now, in all of that struggle, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Do you see what an encouragement that is? In all of your own struggle against your weaknesses and sins, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. As we're going to see, that's not an encouragement to go on sinning. That's the last part of the passage. That truth, that there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, belongs to those who walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, and to them only. But what an amazing word of God to each of us as we struggle with our own personal weaknesses, with character sins, sins that seem almost to define who we are, with sins that we, we commit over and over and over again, there 
is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's the theme of this morning's sermon. No condemnation in Christ. And we're going to look first at that doctrine of justification. Justification means, in just a few words, exactly what the Word of God says here in that first part of verse 1. But then we're going to focus, too, on the fact that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And finally, we're going to look at the fact that that blessing of justification belongs to those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Those three things. So first of all, the doctrine of justification. Now, you've all heard that word many times, that lessons on justification. When you were younger in the catechism classes, some of you children have had those lessons recently. Big word, easy to forget what it means. It means no condemnation in, to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to try this morning to draw a kind of mental picture for you that will help you to remember what justification is. And those words, no condemnation, suggest that picture. Picture is of coming into a courtroom. A prisoner charged with various crimes. And the first thing you see in the courtroom is this massive book that records everything that you have ever done wrong. And not only what you did wrong, but records all the reasons, all the thinking, all that was in your heart when you did wrong. fact that there were times when you were tempted and didn't even struggle with the temptation, just gave in. Records the times that you sinned because you wanted to do what was wrong. It's all there in that book. And on the last page of that book is written, this all adds up to the murder of God's Son. Really just one great crime. 
If you don't understand that, then think of the fact that it was our sins that brought Christ to the cross and to the suffering and death of the cross. All our sin adds up to that one great crime of murdering the Son of God. So all the evidence is there. All the things that you thought were hidden. Nobody knew about them. They're all there. And you notice in that courtroom that sitting next to the judge is the one whom you murdered. He's the one who speaks for the judge, in fact. And your heart sinks, and you think, there isn't a hope for me in this courtroom. And you've got accusers there as well. Satan's there to accuse you. And say, for example, I'd open to my temptations left himself so spiritually unprotected and weak that I hardly had to say anything to get him to fall into sin. And what excuse does he have then? But the other accuser is even worse because the other accuser is your own conscience, which says, yes, 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 to everything that's written in that book. It's all true. It's all true. That's the picture that those words, no condemnation, draw for us. And so you sit there waiting for the judge to review the evidence, listen to the accusers, and pass sentence on you. And to your utter amazement, when the judge passes the sentence, it is no condemnation. I find no fault in him. I haven't seen iniquity in him or perverseness. Something like what God said through Balaam of Israel. There he stood on that mountain looking down on the Israelites at the end of their wilderness wanderings. Rebellious, disobedient, always complaining. And God through Balaam said, I see no iniquity in them. No perverseness. And you say, what? What? If there ever were people perverse, then it was these Israelites. And in God's courtroom, we say the same. How how can God say, no iniquity, no perverseness? When my own conscience 
says yes to all that I'm charged with. And when the devil in all of his accusations is right, it didn't take much at all to lead me into sin and temptation. No condemnation? What's going on here? You might even think in an earthly courtroom if that happened, that somehow or other, the judge got hold of the wrong records. I don't mean that record of all the crimes, but he thought he was dealing with somebody else. Not me, but someone else. Because it cannot possibly be me of whom he says, no condemnation. That's the picture that's drawn here in the Word of God. And that's justification. You and I, appearing in God's courtroom for sentencing, accused of every possible crime, all the evidence against us, And hearing the judge of heaven and earth say those two words of Romans 8, verse 1, no condemnation. Now the passage explains how that's possible. How the judge of heaven and earth, who never lies, can say that. There's a real sense in which the judge had what I called a moment ago the wrong records. Only they weren't wrong. What he was looking at when he passed his sentence was not my record, but Christ's. He's looking at that record that records a perfect, spotless, holy, and obedient life. And looking at that, he said of me and of you, I find no fault in them. No condemnation. And if you ask, well, how in the world could he mistake? It's not a mistake. But how could he, in sentencing me, read 
Christ's record and apply that to me? And the answer lies in the fact that Christ, you find that truth all through Scripture, Christ is the head of his people. That's in Romans 5 too, by the way. As in Adam all died. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Just as Adam was our head and we all became guilty in Adam and worthy of God's judgment long before we ever committed any sins of our own, so in Christ, as our head, we're counted righteous. That's the word we use when we speak of justification. Without fault without sin before God. We use the word imputed when we talk about that. Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, Christ's obedience is imputed to me. And all that really means is that his record is substituted for mine. Or if you want to put it another way, that what he did is charged to my account becomes mine. That's what that word imputed means. So that God looks at me in exactly the same way that he looked at Christ. Reads my record as he reads Christ, or if you will, reads Christ's record as mine. And the result is there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation now. And there never, ever will be. Now you can understand that some, when they hear that truth, say that that, that isn't possible. That if I'm standing up here this morning and telling you that, all I'm doing is telling you to go out and sin. Because there's no condemnation. You can do as you please. You can live as you please. And there won't be any condemnation. That's not the way it is. And we're going to see that in a moment. But you can understand how they think that way. Nevertheless, that is justification. But when we talk about justification, then we talk about justification by faith. And that's here in the passage, too, in those words who are in Christ Jesus. Faith 
Faith is believing, trusting, being assured. It's that too. But before faith is anything else, faith means that I, that's why faith has to be a gift of God, am joined inseparably and forever to Jesus Christ. Faith makes me one body with him. Faith makes me bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. Faith unites me to Christ so that everything that's Christ's becomes mine. Just like when you graft a branch into a tree, everything that's in that tree flows into the branch. So when I am united to Christ, everything that's in Christ becomes mine. His Father becomes my Father. His Spirit becomes my Spirit. His his people become my people. Here, by faith, His righteousness, His holiness... His obedience, become mine. Through that uniting faith. And so I really am, through faith, justified in the sight of God. That's justification by faith. My being joined to Christ, and joined to Christ, sharing in that courtroom that we were talking about, Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, which cancels out all my debt and all my sin, so that there is no condemnation for me. No condemnation the passage has to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's why the gospel, when it's preached, always says, you must believe. You must. And insists that faith is the only way of salvation. But that's why the gospel tells you too at the same time that faith is not something that comes from you, but a gift of God. I unite myself to the Son of God and through faith be justified, impossible. It must be, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, the gift of God. That's justification by faith. If you don't remember the big word, then remember the courtroom. To that, the Word of God adds, who walk not after the flesh, 
but after the Spirit. And there are two reasons why that's added to the passage. First of all, it's the way in which the Word of God says to you and to me, those who are justified will never be, cannot possibly be those who say, this gives me freedom to live as I please and to do whatever I want. No, 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 forever, no. Free and gracious justification is never an invitation to sin. No condemnation never means, aha, I can do whatever I want. Those who are in Christ Jesus are always, always those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's one reason. But the second reason for describing those who are in Christ Jesus that way has to do with the fact that Romans 8 is concerned about our assurance. That's the great theme of Romans 8. That we not only are saved, but know we're saved and enjoy our salvation and the peace and blessedness of our salvation. That's one of the reasons why Romans 8 is probably one of the best known and most loved passages of the Word of God because it deals with that matter of assurance. But that's the reason why Paul speaks of those who are in Christ Jesus, justified by that union, that saving union with Jesus Christ, as those who walk, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. He's concerned. The Word of God is concerned. In those words, for our assurance. Because the question is, not just, how can a person be justified? We've talked about that. Only in Christ Jesus. But the question is, how do I know that I am in Christ Jesus? How do I know that I am righteous before God? And at the end of my life, when I think of standing before God in the great day of judgment, how am I going to be sure that I can stand there without fear, believing that then too His words will be, no, condemnation. 
If you ask that question, how do I know? Then the answer is, first of all, by faith. The same faith that justifies me. The same faith that unites me to Christ is the way in which I know that I belong to him. That I know, as Paul has it in this chapter, that I'm one of God's children. And that therefore, nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. Not the judgment day either. But because we're so weak, God gives us to help our faith, to support our faith, and to hold it up. Gives us evidences. He does that in other ways in our lives, too. In fact, we like evidence because it's a kind of proof that things are true. We believe, for example, that the worlds were created in six days by the God of heaven and earth and by the word of his power. Believe that. But God gives us evidence of that, too, in his word and in our lives. For example, when we see how in our lives, under his sovereign rule, everything works for our good, then our faith is strengthened. He holds up our faith in that way. And that's what those closing words of Romans 8 verse 1 are about. I know I'm a child of God by faith. I just simply believe it. But because I'm so weak, God gives me evidence. And the evidence is that I walk. It's evidence of belonging to Christ. Evidence of the fact that I'm without condemnation. I walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. I see in myself and in my life evidence that supports and holds up and strengthens my faith. I see what one of our creeds calls the infallible fruits of my salvation. See those fruits as proof that I am in Christ Jesus. Just like that branch when it bears fruit shows that the tree is alive. I 
And so you have, there at the end of Romans 8, verse 1, one of the most beautiful descriptions of the Christian life that you'll find anywhere in the Word of God. Flesh and spirit will walk first. That's just another way of saying live. We live. Not after the flesh, but after the spirit. But that word walk suggests too very beautifully that living the Christian life, we're going somewhere. And that there's a certain direction to our lives. And when the word of God says, not after the flesh, but after the spirit, it's talking about the fact that the Christian, though he still has that flesh, Paul talked about that, that old sinful nature. Talked about that in Romans 7. That the direction of a Christian's life is fundamentally and forever changed. He sins. He's weak. He struggles. But he's not on his way to hell anymore. Through all of those struggles, he's on his way to heaven. And those struggles are, in fact, evidence of the fact that he's on his way to heaven. You understand that? When you say what Paul does... In chapter 7, the good that I would, I do not, and the evil that I would not, that I do. That's evidence that you're on your way to heaven. Because if you were not one of God's children, it would not be like that. You know what you would be saying? Something entirely different. The good? I want nothing to do with that. All I care about, all I want, is sin, evil, disobedience, rebellion, and all the rest. You see, Christian looks at himself, looks at his sins, looks at the fact that though he sins, he hates it when he commits the same sins over and over again. Hates it when all those old sins of his youth come back to mind. He doesn't boast about them and laugh about them, but he's ashamed of them and hates the fact that he was so foolish when he was younger. And he not only wants to be different, but he prays constantly for the grace of God to be different. And when he falls, he doesn't throw up his hands in despair and say it's hopeless, but he gets up again and goes on. 
with that constant daily struggle, that's evidence that he is in Christ Jesus because it would never be so otherwise. He walks. The flesh and spirit are both there. But he walks not according to the flesh. And you see that. You see that when he's all ready to say something he oughtn't say and bites his tongue instead and says to himself, but that would be hurtful to someone else and displeasing to God. Doesn't always. But when it happens, then you see that he is one who walks not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see it when he turns something off. instead of watching it or listening to it. Because he knows that it's sin against God. That little act is walking. Part of his walking not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And all those evidences, because that's what they are, of the grace of God, which not only justifies him, but makes him, in Christ Jesus, a new person. And so you have those words. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We're out of time. You see that struggle I talked about in yourself? Do you? Oh, wretched man that I am. And yet at the same time, I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. The good that I would, I do not. The evil that I would not, that I do. God be merciful to me, a sinner. See that struggle? That's evidence. Evidence of being in Christ Jesus. Being in Christ Jesus, that there is no condemnation. Not for those sins of youth. Not for the sins that I commit over and over again. Not for those character sins. That almost define who and what I am. No condemnation. And that's an encouragement to 
to go on in the struggle, but an encouragement to that faith which says, I am, in all my struggles and temptations, a child of God. And nothing can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, my Lord. Take that home with you. God grant it. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for our justification. And we thank Thee, too, that justified by faith in Christ Jesus our Lord, we are also now, though with a small beginning of obedience, those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And we thank Thee, too, that what we see in ourselves, the fruits of Thy grace, is for us evidence, evidence that leads to peace and assurance of our place in Christ and of our home with Thee in heaven forever. Forgive the weakness and sin with which we speak of these things and hear of them, and bless us as we go our separate ways. For Jesus' sake, amen. Number 